You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to talk draft with Texans analyst John Harris and Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Dolphins analyst Joe Rose. Joe, Brian Weber, Cordell Stewart with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the NFL on TuneIn. Now the Dolphins have used the franchise tag on Jarvis Landry. Do you think there's a real chance they could trade him? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it's uh, it's been a hot topic. I, I think there is. Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I have never studied the franchise tag and paid more attention to it than I with with the move that the uh, Miami Dolphins made on the first day that you could tag somebody. They jumped right on it. And uh, I know a lot of people are, are scratching their head. Why, why did you need to do it so early? Uh, there is a belief by some that they got the combine coming up. As you guys know, that's when a lot of business gets done besides watching guys run and jump and lift and catch and throw that uh, there could be some, uh, some, some, some uh, workings going on between uh, other NFL teams and the Miami Dolphins. We're really curious to see how this is going to play out. Uh, I know Jarvis wants a lot of money. And, listen, he's put up big numbers as far as catches go. He's one of the best players on the team. He's young. Uh, You know, he's only 25 years old. So we're just uh, all kind of watching to see the Dolphins, you know, he's a slot receiver. He says, I'm not a slot receiver. I'm a receiver. And I want 15-plus million or close to it per year, if not a little bit more. Joe, how does, how does this team handle the quarterback position? Because you have Matt Moore sitting there after Ryan Tannehill went down. You go straight to the booth. You end up grabbing a, a Jake Cutler, and you saw how that worked out. Right. What do they do moving forward? Is it a draft? Is it free agency? Or do they just stick with Ryan Tannehill as he comes back and he's healthy? Cordell, I, I think to start with, uh, my gut feeling is, and, and talking to guys a little bit is, they made it clear that Ryan Tannehill is a starting quarterback. Uh, he, he knows he's getting ready right now. I saw him at camp uh, a few days ago. He, he's not looking over his shoulder. Ryan, you're the starting quarterback. The question is going to be, because uh, I think the Dolphins are in play for a quarterback at 11, according to which of the four guys drops. And if the Dolphins like one of those guys, uh, they're putting in a lot of time. We were out uh, the first week after the hurricane out here. Dolphins were out in L.A. for extra time before getting ready for their game with the Chargers and spent a lot of time at both USC and UCLA taking a look at uh, both Darnold and, and Rosen. And uh, at the Senior Bowl had everybody there, including Dan Marino, uh, taking a look at the other two quarterbacks. So uh, I think where they're picking, I think they realize there's a good chance they can get one of those quarterbacks if they like him. So I think a first round would not be surprised at all to see the Dolphins take a quarterback in the first or second round. We'll start the year as a backup quarterback, most likely. Chatting with Joe Rose from the Dolphins Radio Network. Joe, what has Indomitian Sue meant to this defense since he signed that mega deal with the Dolphins? And since we're always talking about money, what do you make of reports <laughs> the Dolphins could be looking to trade or release him? Why is it when I played, nobody ever talked about money? We didn't make any money. And now, <laughs> you're right. Hey, I spent all morning on my show talking about Indomitian Sue and the third largest amount of money uh, on a cap on a team right now outside of two quarterbacks. 
He's a defensive tackle. It's a big, big number right now for a guy that, that plays defensive tackle. And, and so it is I, – I go back to this, and I have to do this with Jarvis and Indami Kinsu. Uh, if the Dolphins can make a work, you try to keep those guys, right? They're two of your best players on the team. Uh, this team doesn't have a lot of really, really good players, so I, I think you got to keep those guys. Uh, and Dominican Sue is—he gets double teamed a lot. He is a tough son of a gun. He, he brings something to that defensive line that those young guys follow. And the—and the thing about him is he—he he doesn't miss many snaps. That guy—he plays. He plays hard. Um, I thought he did a lot better job with leadership with the other rookie defensive tackles. Two of them played a lot last year. So um, I think they keep him. I know there's word it's such a big number. Maybe they release him. Maybe they trade him. He can make a lot of money the next couple of years. Uh, I don't know how much other teams are willing to pay in Dominican Sue, and if they want to pick up that contract, I think he'll be here next year. Joe, when you look at how last season started, there was a, a tremendous amount of frustration coming from Coach Head Adam Gaze in a sense of, you know, these guys being inconsistent, the team, uh, right. not being able to run the football well, not being able to tackle well, not making throws or what have you. But then Jay Ajayi ends up leaving, get ran out of town to go to Philly, and he's a big part of the reason why this team ended up going to a Super Bowl. How does that make – some of these, let's just say, decisions that are made sometimes with coaches where they think they're the reason why they need to have success, but it's really not. It's really more about the players. How does it make them look? Well, I'll just go back to uh, the J train, uh, and I love the guy. I love the attitude he brings. Uh, you love after the first hit, the guy's as good as there is, breaking tackles, getting extra yards. He runs hard, and that guy plays with an attitude that you just absolutely love. And he was really popular. Uh, I think that little English accent that he has, too, that helped a lot, too. That, that helped when, when he talked. That was big. But I, I will say this. Um, it is interesting because the team has been was sloppy last year, second in the league in penalties, had a lot of plays called back, uh, mistakes, mental mistakes. Uh, and, and as you know, as that stuff goes on, uh, I don't know what happened inside the locker room. You know, we, we've heard things happen, and guys were over the top either the way they talked to the coaches or, 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 or those type of things. Whatever it was, the team didn't score enough points. I look at the talent they have, and I'm starting to sound like the Lone Ranger with this because people are like, hey, they scored 17 points a game. Stop with all the talent. But I, I just look at the names on the back of those jerseys, and I just expected more with Jay Train and and after Jay left, and it just didn't happen. Uh, very frustrating. And as you know, when play gets like that, and it looks sloppy, and you don't score points, and you have all those penalties, it makes coaches look real, real bad. So going ahead and and trying to clean things up, and and you talk about getting better leadership. Uh, boy, I'll tell you. Uh, all of a sudden, in just one year, there's a lot more heat on this organization than there was a year ago, for sure. And Joe, to follow up on that, obviously the Dolphins with the historical challenge of playing in the same division as the Patriots, but looking at the roster and looking at the talent in South Florida, how close do you think this team is to being a legitimate playoff contender? Oh, I still think we got a, a ways to go. I, I, I'm as frustrated as, as the fan base. 
this I, I, they do understand it's got to be built mostly through the draft. You guys obviously know that. We got to hit on draft picks. The higher the draft pick, the, the better they need to be. I know it doesn't always work like that, and we've had our share of bust here in early rounds, but they got to build it around these young guys that they drafted the last couple years. It, it's got to go. I think the Dolphins realize now after Indomitian Sue's huge contract. And Mike Wallace, at one point, had we had him for a lot of money. You can't just go out and be the sexy team in the off season. You, you can't. You can't win the off season Super Bowl. You got to do it during the season. It's got to be built. We we got to we got to continue to focus on the draft, patch in guys. But you, you can't overpay for guys that are veteran players. We had a lot of guys that didn't, in my opinion, didn't live up to their contracts last year. And uh, and that's just got to get better. So I, I still got to see better overall talent. I got to see smarter players uh, than we had this year, and and guys that that play the game the right way. Because we had a lot of stupid, lazy penalties that will just kill you. That they had chances to win, especially on home games, that got away from them. That uh, just can't happen in, in this league. Well, one thing I know for sure, I just started having the opportunity to coach Joe this year for my son's high school, and and we always have this conversation in our in our meeting conversations in our meetings, and it's it's the product on the field is going to look like how these guys are being coached during the week, right? And so if they're looking lazy, if they're undisciplined, you know, while the players are total control on the football field, but they're only going to give you the behavior that's allowed to happen during the during the practice week uh, when it comes down to it. But I think offensive line-wise, give me your take on what they may do in the, in the draft at that 11 pick uh, to maybe help out Orion Tannehill when it comes down to coming back and being healthy. Do they go after this kid, what's his name, Michael McClinchy, the offensive tackle out of uh, Notre Dame? Uh, Cordell, they're, they're definitely going to look at the top guards and, and tackles. There, there is no question uh, that they will look at either upgrading a guard position or a tackle position for sure on this team. I, I, I think they're, they're looking right now. They like Jesse Davis a lot. He was a guy, a rookie free agent who, who – not a rookie free agent, but uh, a free agent who came in and, and played well at guard once he got a chance to play, and we saw him get better and better. I know some of the, some of the team believes he'll be a better right tackle, so they they got to make a decision right now on that. And then from there, uh, yeah, I, I'm not completely – I wouldn't be shocked to see him take an offensive lineman in, in, in the first round at either guard or tackle if, if they think it's a guy that – they can they can draft and literally day one when they're all out there working out together go hey guys I'd like you to meet the new starting guard or tackle put him in there day one and and let him go that could happen too offensive line play especially to start the year it got better over the last four or five games but but not good enough to the first ten or twelve games hey Cordell you talked about something that that's you, you're right on the money when, when you're making mistakes you're not running routes right. You're not coming back and fighting for the ball enough and balls are getting intercepted. Even if they're bad throws, receivers got to come back and and fight for you and and get the ball batted down so you can line up for another snap and, and, and not get your defense in bad field position and do your assignment and not freelance. And, and all those things are so important. And I know that's one of the most frustrating things for Adam Gase that, uh, I think he's going to really crack down on and and be more of of a hard ass this off season when he's talking about those kind of things. 
Yo, as you probably know, we carry all the NFL play-by-play on TuneIn Premium. Really enjoy what you and Jimmy and Bob do every Sunday. You have great chemistry. So thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, listen, it's the National Football League, the league that never sleeps, man. It's always (laughs) fun. Thank you guys very much. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. A year into Donald Trump's presidency, we still don't have answers to basic questions about how his family business works. Like, who are their business partners? Or is the business benefiting from his administration? Is Trump acting on behalf of the country or his company? Trump, Inc. is a podcast from WNYC Studios and ProPublica, where we dig deep and ask questions about President Trump's family business. We're looking for answers, and you can help. Listen to Trump, Inc. today on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, taking you around the league with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's start with the big deal that went down today. Marcus Peters just turned 25. He's one of the best corners in all of football. What motivated the Chiefs, do you think, to send him to the Rams? Well, you have to go back to a game they played uh, late in the season when they were against the New York Jets, and he was kicked out of the game. And just looking at his demeanor, body language, and how he handled himself in that particular uh, position, and knowing that uh, this team seems to be going in a totally different direction than we've seen them last year, first uh, trading Alex Smith, the quarterback, to the Washington Redskins, and looking at Peters uh, still on his rookie deal, knowing as though they're going to have to pay him a substantial amount of money. So they were looking to maybe trade him, get something for him as the team goes into what I'm calling a rebuild for the Kansas City Chiefs. But if you're the Rams, uh, you're happy about the situation and bringing in a guy like Marcus Peters and knowing as though what he can bring uh, to that defense. And uh, Wade Phillips uh, basically would try to duplicate what he did with the Denver Broncos when they went to the Super Bowl and won it against the Carolina Panthers. They're going to try to duplicate that same blueprint with the Rams. Uh, The Rams definitely turned around last year. Uh, Sean McVay and Jared Goff, but now you add some guys who can make some plays on the outside and allow guys like Robert Quinn and Aaron Donald to get home to the quarterback. Uh, That's a great matchup for a great mix, that is, for the, the Rams. Nick, when you think about the National Football League, one thing we know for sure over the years, since we played up until now, the game has evolved. And when you look at excuse me, one second. When you look at how it's it's gone for Lamar Jackson, let's just say when you hear the conversation of he needs to go and play wide receiver. Give me your take on hearing that and knowing that his talents compared to the other guys are so much bigger and better uh, to the point where to hear that. What does it do to you? Well, Cordell, you you know this because you know the the term slash was coined uh, because of you. So you, you you've been in the situation and you where uh, Lamar Jackson is right now. It's because of one's athletic ability. You kind of put out in a category of your own. You're not even viewed as being a quarterback. You're just athletic, and because of that athletic ability, it is the mindset that maybe he can't play on the center or maybe he would think to run with the ball first before looking down the field to try to find a receiver. And when I look at some of these other individuals, and I like to listen to different people and they break down of this quarterback class, there's not a lot of conversation about Lamar Jackson. There wasn't a lot coming into uh, this uh, 2017 season as far as being him uh, him being a Heisman Trophy uh, candidate. It was all about Josh Rosen, Josh 
Josh Allen and maybe uh, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold from USC, but Lamar Jackson seemed to be the odd guy out. But when you hear people say that he needs to move to the wide receiver position, it's like, why? No one asked Johnny Manziel to move to a wide receiver position. No one is asking Baker Mayfield, who is six feet two sixteen, who is kind of an undersized quarterback, that who he's being compared to a guy like Johnny Manziel. But we're saying and we're hearing that Lamar Jackson, you know, is kind of too small at six three two o five. But Josh Rosen, who's being you know rated as the number one quarterback coming out and being the most NFL-ready quarterback, he's 6'3", 210. So he's five pounds heavier than Lamar Jackson. But Lamar Jackson, you don't have to worry about off-the-field issues. And when you listen to some of the scouts and you talk to them, and I've had a chance to talk to a couple of guys, you know, the problem with Rosen is, yes, you know, he has the mechanics there. He's played on the center. But the issues, well, they wonder, well, what is his leadership qualities and how he would, you know, get along with his teammates. And the guy likes to party. That's kind of, you know, the red flags on on, uh, Josh Rosen. But to me, with all those things, how can you devalue Lamar Jackson and what he's shown that he can do? We're talking about more than 5,000 yards of of offense, 27 touchdowns, uh, passing, 10 interceptions, and he's accounted for, I think think the number is maybe uh, 9 or maybe even 18 rushing touchdowns. So to me, that's a lot of production that you can get from a rookie quarterback. Well, Nick, to amplify what you're talking about, why don't we be, to use Cordell's word, transparent? Do you think there's a racial component to the Lamar Jackson analysis? You know, I don't want to throw race into the mix because we've seen a lot of uh, change over the years. Like I said, you know, looking at Cordell's career and how he was coined as being slash a do-everything guy, but no one was really looking him at, at, at the quarterback position, I believe – from that point, things have changed in the NFL where, you know, individuals are not looking, saying, okay, uh, where it was quarterback and then black quarterback, now it's just quarterback. But I still think the skill set and what uh, guys like Lamar Jackson present definitely change how, you know, we compare them to other quarterbacks. Just take this in mind. Uh, no one was really looking at Deshaun Watson as being a top pick, but look what he did when he came into the league, just destroying you know, the league with his athleticism and his accuracy and ability to really lead a team. To me, that should be the focal point. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't matter what color the guy is. It's just can he play the, the quarterback position? Is he accurate? Can he make the right throws? And quarterbacks, and you know this, Cordell, you make your money based on what you do inside the red zone and third down. So let's start to evaluate quarterbacks in that light. And most importantly, when you get under the big lights, which is in the postseason, if you're lucky to, uh, what do you do when you when you get in until that moment in time in the game? Like a Nick Foles, even yeah. for the sake of conversation. But tell me about about Kirk Cousins. Uh, you're hearing conversations about the 150 million bucks guaranteed, and, and some are now kind of moving away from it a little bit. But give me your take on how should he get paid, considering we know Aaron Rodgers is up as well as Drew Brees pretty soon. Well, it's all about, you know, having leverage. And right now, uh, he's the bell of the ball. And there's several teams out there that are in need of quarterbacks. And with the Cleveland Browns having the money that they have at their disposal as far as cap space and the draft choices, so it looks like an ideal landing spot. But if you're Kirk Cousins, you got to think, okay, well, how far away uh, are the Cleveland Browns? And do I want to go there, have a lot of money in my bank account, 
but it gets cold in Cleveland, and sometimes they lose a lot of games that we've seen over the past two years. Then you have the New York Jets, right? Uh, I don't believe the Jets are going the direction of Kirk Cousins because Josh McCown is a guy that we saw last season that can actually lead this team. They just they were like deficient in a lot of positions. And then there's the Denver Broncos sitting there at $25 million in cap space, and do you sacrifice uh, some guys on your roster for a guy like Kirk Cousins? So I think that the market is going to dry up really quick. So right now it's a race between Cleveland and the New York Jets. If uh, the Cleveland Browns decide not to take him, now you end up going to the New York Jets, but still, will you be able to get the amount of money that you think that you that you deserve? And like you said, you know, you still have Drew Brees who's out there, Aaron Rodgers. So for me, the floor has kind of been set by Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, contract, but I still wouldn't give up that much money for Kirk Cousins at the risk of mortgaging the future of my franchise and not being able to sign my draft picks and actually – uh, get free agents into the building that can really help the team. Taking you around the league with our good friend Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, spent a decade in the league. Let me give you a job you probably don't want. You're running the Cleveland Browns. Here's the good news. You can't lose more games than going 0-16. What would you do with the number one overall pick? For me, I'm going to go defense uh, because what we continue to see especially if you looked at the Super Bowl, no one played defense. It was, watching, it was like watching a Big 12 game. But so for me, you got Miles Garrett, you know, last season. Go out and with those picks and build on your defense. And maybe since, you know, it felt earlier in the season when you tried to get A.J. McCarron, maybe you go and get A.J. McCarron. You know, let's not forget, there's a lot of familiarity with Hugh Jackson and A.J. McCarron. And there's a lot of individuals riding A.J. off as far as his ability as a quarterback. No, he's not at the Drew Brees or Tom Brady status. But can he lead a team that has a lot of cash? You can go out and get a lot of free agents to plug a lot of holes. And then you can get some young guys in this year's draft to actually solidify some of those uh, deficiencies at certain positions that, that you don't have. So, for me, if, if I'm running an organization, A.J. McCarron, entice some free agents to come to our team and say, well, we're trying to turn this team in a different direction, and now you can come and join us, and now we have a chance because looking within our division, Joe Flacco isn't the same. Andy Dalton definitely isn't the same. And Big Ben, we have no idea how much longer he's going to be in the league is he going to do one more year and he's gone? So this would be a prime time for the Cleveland Browns and A.J. McCarron to kind of make that marriage work and try to put something together in the next couple of years. You know, sometimes, Nick, we have a tendency to take a special player and like to spread him out throughout the National Football League all the time, right? And yeah. so, you know, it's like a Sam Darnold. We love to spread him all over the place. Some may say one, but then others come out and say Josh Allen may be the first one. Some say Baker Mayfield. Other, others may come out and say Josh Rosen. But when it comes down to Saquon Barkley, there's only one of him. Uh, and he can actually fall into the Cleveland Browns, the Giants, Indianapolis, uh, even the Denver Broncos or the Jets because we know Matt Forte is long in the tooth and he may be gone. Where do you see him falling in the top six spots? Well, you know what, Saquon Barkley is an interesting player. Uh, when you look at every player across the board, I don't care what position, he is the most intriguing guy. He's very uh, dynamic. For me, I, as a fan, uh, knowing that uh, Eli only has so much time left and the Giants cannot really move the ball, and Odell 
was injured last year, but he's a dynamic receiver. I would love to see Saquon in the New York Giants uh, jersey because when you look at the market and the ability to market him and his brand, that's a great place to be. And then if they can establish any type of run game with him, so you go get Saquon and then maybe you go get a right guard and a left tackle, now we're talking about a different outlook in that division in the East, and now you start to push the Giants back up there with some of the top teams. But uh, Saquon Barkley, I mean, just uh, a fascinating guy watching him run uh, on the inside and outside, soft hands as a running back, and you talk about the lower body strength. To me, uh, even though he's coming out of college, he he hasn't put in the work in the NFL. A guy he reminds me of is Le'Veon Bell. He doesn't have Le'Veon's route-running ability just yet, but he's that dynamic. You can kind of put him, you know, looking forward as to being a guy that maybe can match Le'Veon's level production on the field. Nick, as always, we appreciate the insight. All right, thanks, guys. Talk to you guys later. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The boys of summer are back. And a fly ball well hit. Back to the wall. He leaped. Can't get it. It's a home run. MLB Spring Training is here, and you can catch every game from Florida and Arizona live with your subscription to TuneIn Premium. Rivalry games, split squad games, TuneIn has it all. When the pitch count begins for real, catch every game of the 2018 MLB season from opening day to the MLB World Series live on TuneIn. It's gone. It's a home run. Major League Baseball is on TuneIn Premium. Listen all season long. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in John Harris of the Texans broadcast team. John, always great to have you on the show. Let's start under center. Of all the marquee quarterbacks, which one do you like the most? Well, I like Sam Darnold uh, right at the top. I think he's got every asset you're looking for in a quarterback. You know, when I first saw him a couple years ago, Brian, I was really worried about him getting the ball out of his hands fast enough. He's got kind of a long wind-up motion, but he shortened that up a little bit in 2017. And I just I love everything about his cool, his calm. But I know a lot of people will say, um, you know, Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver, but I like Lamar Jackson in my top three. I go Sam Darnold, and then I go Baker Mayfield, and I go Lamar Jackson number three. I just feel like I want the ball in the hands of the most dangerous player on the field. And to me, that's Lamar Jackson. He is not a polished product throwing the football. He's got some mechanical issues I think he's got to fix and, or work on. But when the ball's in his hands, boy, he's scary. But that's the one thing I think about all these guys, the, the four or five guys that we consider for the first round. They've all got an opportunity to make plays out of the pocket, off schedule. And that, to me, is really where the NFL is, is going. You look at Dak Prescott, Sean Watson, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson. They're, they're guys that can improvise and can make plays when things break down. And I think that's where the NFL is going to end up going in due time. And I think you can see it with the way that things ran for the off Eagles. They took the West Coast offense, merged it with a lot of RPO stuff they were doing, and came up with the Philadelphia Eagles offense that ended up being pretty lethal, no matter whether it was Carson Wentz or Nick Foles under center. So, to me, I go Darnold and then Baker, and then I go Lamar Jackson, number three. Deshaun Watson, who's there in Texas, I, I, I guarantee you most may have thought 
it wouldn't work out as good as it did because they figured they'd probably have to give him a year to, to figure out the NFL way of playing a game. But he shocked the world pretty much. And when you see players that are coming into the National Football League where more GMs are starting to buy into it because they're finding out that these are truly the players in the draft uh, are, are the ones that you really have to look at because that's the direction of the National Football League. Or you think that the GMs are going to eventually grow into understanding that in order to be successful in the game today, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers, old Ben Roethlisberger, now Deshaun Watson, in order to win, you're going to have to have a guy that's mobile and sometimes a little bit more mobile than you like. Yeah, absolutely, Cordell. I, I, there's no question. I think that's where the league is going, in large part because that's what's coming from college football. You're not seeing 6'4", 230-pound gunslingers just absolutely stand in the pocket and fire it all over the place. You're not finding those guys. Those guys are playing a different position or a different sport altogether. The colleges are looking at guys that can make plays, and I think it's starting to filter up a little bit from the high school ranks to the college ranks and now up into the NFL because that's what the NFL is getting. They're getting guys like Deshaun Watson. And still, even at that point, Cordell, Deshaun was the third quarterback taken last year uh, after Mitchell Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes. That was a big Mahomes guy. I like Patrick Mahomes. I saw him a couple times live and loved him. So I could I would have been all right with Mahomes or Watson – but Watson was the third one in that list, and the Texans had to trade up to go get him. So hopefully Deshaun has taught some of these GMs, and you know maybe uh, you didn't see enough of Patrick Mahomes to really feel that way, but hopefully Deshaun's taught some of these GMs a lesson that you got to go outside the box a little bit. Because, Cordell, I can, I can tell you being in Houston, there were a lot of media here in Houston that said, this isn't going to work. Deshaun Watson isn't going to be a Bill O'Brien-type quarterback. And I kept saying to him, look, you know what's a Bill O'Brien-type quarterback? A guy who wins. Doesn't matter how it's done, he just wants to win. And once he realized what he had with Deshaun, he knew he had to change things. And and so that that buy-in came along, and all of a sudden it was like it tapped into Bill O'Brien's creativity as well. And I think that was a really good thing. And here's the thing: with only six games, six and a half games of seeing Deshaun, there's a lot of stuff that Bill O'Brien left on the cutting room floor that they'll be able to break out in 2018. But Cordell, you hit on something that's really important. I think you do have to have general managers and decision makers, head coaches that can look past what the tradition was, what it used to be, and say, okay, this is what it used to be, but this guy right here is what the future of the league is going to be. Talking and this draft is why with John we need Harris, to Texas right now. Radio Network. John, I was one of those pundits who pointed out when we were talking about Deshaun Watson last year, 30 interceptions, so I wondered about ball security and the transition to the NFL. Obviously, I was dead wrong. So I don't want to be too hung up on one metric, but anytime we're talking about Josh Allen from Wyoming, I can't get past the fact that he had less than a 60% completion percentage. Can you think of a couple instances of quarterbacks who got more accurate when they made the move from college to the pros? That's that's an interesting question. I say it all the time. You know, if a guy struggling in college – why do we think all of a sudden he's going to turn into a superstar player? Now, I'm not just talking quarterback. I'm talking every position. How do you know that a guy that was, well, he's going to turn it because he's a great athlete? I, don't, I haven't seen that often. But what I will say about Josh Allen is that the tools are all there in the toolbox. He just doesn't know how to use all of them. And that's, that's, that's a, I think that's a, I don't want to say red flag, but it's something that I don't know how as a, a personnel guy, you go, man, I love everything about him, but oh my goodness, what do I, what am I going to get from week to week? So I, Josh Allen scares me to death. But watching him at the Senior Bowl, the one thing I will say at the Senior Bowl that did impress me about Josh Allen 
was that he got better every day. And I could see at the beginning of the week, he really struggled. He's learning the offense. The next day, and he was, I mean, he could hit the broadside of a barn the first day. Second day, still some struggles, but you started seeing some of those throws. Third day, I saw him make some throws that I, I, I talked to a couple of scouts that were standing next to me, and I said, I go to 16 games plus a year in the NFL. I have not seen an NFL quarterback with that arm strength that could make that throw right there. That's why Josh Allen is going to be intriguing. And some team is going to go all in on Josh Allen. They better have a good backup plan to help him out the first couple of years because if it's Josh Allen and Josh Allen alone, it could be pretty tough because he hasn't played at level of competition and the tools are just going to be all over the toolbox and that's going to end up getting some head coach and maybe a general manager fired. What's crazy is what you're saying right there. That Brian and I was talking yesterday about Brian Billick and Kyle Bowler there in Cal and saying how the talent around Kyle wasn't as good uh, and then probably caused Kyle Bowler to actually struggle just a little bit. And he thought when he got him into Baltimore that it would give him a chance to flourish because they had a great defense. He's coming in with this offensive philosophy. Well, you're not going to have that problem with uh, a Lamar Jackson. You may have that problem, let's just say, with a Josh Allen. But is it getting to the point where at the quarterback position, if you have too much talent, you may be your own worst enemy? Well, that's a good way of putting it, Cordell. I haven't thought about it like that. I don't know if that's if that's too big a problem, but I think with Josh Allen, to me, is is if he if he were more accurate, especially in the intermediate areas, because there are some throws that are just freaky. I saw him make a throw against I think it was Boise State in sixteen, where he was running to the right, he's getting chased by about two or three guys, and he's nearly falling out of bounds and he threw on sixty yards on a rope for a touchdown. And I remember going back going, this is, this is wild, but it's just not harnessed yet. And, you know, in, in a sport like baseball, you know, you can take a guy like that and you can make him a relief. You can make him a reliever. You know, you can take a roll to Chapman and you can put him in the bullpen and it works because he can go get three outs or six outs or whatever you need. You can't really do that with a quarterback. You can't really hide him for the first three quarters and say, okay, you're going to go, you're going to go close the game. I always would I want my quarterback to have some talent, but I want it I want to be able to make sure that it's harnessed in a way that it's gonna it's gonna accentuate what I have. Now you bring up a great case in Kyle Bowler. What's gonna end up happening is the same thing. Some team is gonna rationalize, look, Jack Allen didn't have any receivers. His offensive line was all gone. That's why he maybe didn't have as good a year in seventeen as he did in sixteen. And some team is gonna rationalize it that way and then they're going to buy in. And look, it, it could happen for Josh Allen. I think he's got tools, like I said. His arm strength is unbelievable. But can you get it harnessed in enough time as a GM and head coach? That's the thing. We don't have five-year plans anymore. We have two years, and that's it. So if Josh Allen isn't going to prove it in two years, you got to move on. But you might not have that. You might not be afforded that luxury if Josh Allen is your guy, and you just say, here you go, son. Go let it happen. Oh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble from that perspective. And I think that's going to end up being what GMs and coaches look at, which could force Josh Allen at some point to fall during a draft. A team that could draft him might be one that says, oh, hey, by the way, I'm going to be here for a while. The team that's just really rebuilding from the bottom up. That could be a team that drafts, drafts Josh Allen because they can live with a few hiccups here or there, and then they'll, they'll pay the price and then get a guy in the third, fourth year that they maybe can live with. But that – there aren't many of those in the NFL anymore. Not like there used to be you know, 20, 25 years ago with the five-year plan ready to build from there. 
John Harris, Texans Radio Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. John, history tells us running backs rarely go with a number one overall pick, but Cleveland's got a glaring need at a variety of positions. Could you argue that Saquon Barkley is the best player in this draft? I think you can make that argument, yes. On top of my board, it's Quinn Nelson from Notre Dame. But Barkley, I think I have number three. I don't think there's any question. Here's the thing about running backs, and I think that when you say, well, you don't draft the running back in the first round, you don't draft the running back. But if it's a player that can impact both the running game and the receiving game, then why, why wouldn't you? If you get, if you get 1,200, 1,300 yards at a running back, you know, by the way, you get 65, 70 catches. I mean, would you not want to add that guy to your roster that can start turning things around and make things easier for your quarterback? Absolutely. So I think, I think Saquon Barkley goes top five. Uh, I think Cleveland would be a tremendous spot. In fact, the mock draft that I ended up doing, I had Barkley. I think I had Barkley and Darnold going to U, uh, to going to the Browns, and I, I think it's been done before. We saw it in Dallas with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel. You can play rookie rookie back there, but in, in, in Cleveland, you've got an offensive line. Now we don't know what Joe Thomas is going to do, but you've got a pretty decent offensive line there. Don't know receiver wise. They got to get some players there. But if you had a Saquon Barkley to that offense, it takes pressure off so many different people on that offense, and it can actually allow whoever the quarterback's going to be to flourish. So I believe with Saquon Barkley, because of how much he can impact the passing game, he's more than just a running back. The same way Ezekiel Elliott was, because he not only could, could run and catch, he's a whale of a pass blocker. So he's the guy you leave on the field for three downs for all four quarters. And I think that's what Saquon Barkley can do as well. In the National Football League, it's rare that you have a a true definition of a player's-coach relationship. And whether it be because you play football, whether it's in college, uh, and you are really, really good to transcending that into being like a Mike Tomlin and even a Mike Vrabel, for that that matter. And he being a part of that defense for the year that he was, it looked like it was a phenomenal player-coach relationship after going to the Greenbrier and seeing those guys react. Now that he's gone to, uh, to the Tennessee Titans, how much will be lost on the defensive side of the football? Well, the good thing, Cordell, is that Rack's coming back. And I say coming back, he didn't, he didn't leave. He just stepped out of that position. So the terminology, uh, a lot of things they were doing will stay the same. They'll probably try and tweak it if they can have all three of their big rushers, Merciless, Watt, and Clowney. But I think the one thing that's lost in this is Mike Vrabel was a heck of a teacher. And you didn't see it as much as a coordinator, but as a position coach, I would watch him work with linebackers. And I'm telling you, Woody Merciless became a player – had the talent, but Mike Rabel got that got the full production out of him. He got it out of Jadeveon Clowney as well. You saw those guys turn into not only competent players, but guys that can be full-on dominant at times, in large part because of the work that Mike Rabel did with them. And I saw him coach him. They, they, it was not like, oh, come on, Whitney. No, no. It was, uh, it was aggressive counseling. I'll put it that way. Mike Rabel, they might label him a player's coach, because he was a player, he understands what players go through, but he's not going there with kid gloves. I know that. And I think that aspect within the Texans organization, that will be missed. There's no doubt about that. And that's what Tennessee is going to get. But having Romeo Cornell here in Houston, that's going to ease that transition for that defense to say, okay, we just get right back up on the bike with Rack, and we'll be good to go from here. John, great information as always. Thanks so much for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn. Appreciate it, guys. See you. 
You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip hop beats. Sit down. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we discuss why the Jets won't pay too much for Kirk Cousins. Yesterday, we had a great conversation with Brian Costello of the New York Post, who covers Gang Green, and he said, according to his sources, the Jets were willing to do effectively whatever it takes to get Kirk Cousins, be it perhaps $60 million in the first year of a contract proposal, or perhaps, he said it was unlikely, but still a chance, every single dollar of the deal could potentially be fully guaranteed. That was the view from the New York Post. We know you have the tabloid rivalry in the Big Apple. So Manish Mehta, friend of the program of the New York Daily News, has responded with his own report. That sounds very different, Cordell. Here's the quote. The Jets are not going to hand Kirk Cousins a blank check. So how do you see this as a veteran of negotiations? You think the Jets now are using the newspapers to try to control this negotiation and maybe get Kirk Cousins at a little bit of a discount, understanding Cleveland has got a ton of cap space and they can hand them a lot of dough as well. I think they're maybe trying to take some of the pressure off of uh, of the conversation a little bit by being able to control it, like you said, with the media, but not in a way that it's getting out of control because it's gotten out of control. I mean, we aren't the only crew that's sitting here talking about Kirk Cousins maybe getting one of the biggest deals in the National Football League in the history of it, let alone it being guaranteed. You know how much pressure that is on an organization to make sure they follow through on it and some things may just fall through the loops? And, and, and having to change and go in another direction with something else. I mean, it happens all the time. And so I think, if anything, this is just a diversion in a sense of conversation. Because, again, even though now the conversation is we don't know for sure or it's not going to happen, do we know until the, the, the name is on the paper, the ink is on the paper? So I'm not believing anything anyone says, truthfully, other than maybe that may have been something that came out of the camp. And if it's something we ride with, so be it. But it doesn't sound like it could be far from the truth based on what they have under the cap and what may be some of the moves that they can actually be made. Uh, but if they're trying to, to shut it down and say it's not going to happen, I mean, we've heard some coaches say some things weren't going to happen before, right? Like a, like Coach Jeff Fisher there with the Rams, you know, and, and, and hearing those stories. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, he's fired the next day. You know, so it's, it's just a matter of, um, I would say, um, if the Jets see that he fits with what it is they need to have done, whether it's a guaranteed deal for 150 million bucks or a little bit less, you know he's going to get a lucrative deal regardless. It just may not all be guaranteed, but you can guarantee that he's going to get a lucrative deal if it's the Jets or anyone else. So I'm looking forward to seeing that now. Or is the 150 million guaranteed? I'm not taking it off the table until we know for sure it's completely done. And until then, I'm 50-50 on it may happen. Well, it could happen. It's a possibility. It but I can't see Kirk Cousins making that kind of history. I can see it because it's a team that needs him that bad. 
and a team that wants to pay him in that fashion. Now, if you're talking about a team like New England, you're talking about a Steelers team, uh, you're talking about all these teams that are in position to go back to the playoffs, let alone make a run to a Super Bowl, sure, I'm, I'm with that. But the Jets, Cleveland Browns, Chicago Bears, I know they have Mitchell Trubisky, but that type of scenario, it wouldn't shock me if it happened, not even a little bit for Kirk Cousins. Because again, he's only six years in. He's got three years to start full time. He's had a pretty solid three years. Better than better than most. He's he's in the top, I would say, 13 or 14 quarterbacks in the game. I would put him in that category. So and then you ask the question, well, based on the money, is he better than there's not their time to get that kind of money yet? And the majority of those guys in the top ten, for the most part, are maybe a little higher. Um, a lot of those guys have gotten their big deals because of championships, multiple championships, playoffs. I mean, the top five quarterbacks, they've all gone to a championship, one or more. And, and, and when it's all said and done in the end, I think he falls right on the outskirts of those top guys. And, and I think moving forward, I mean, the top of the outskirts, not, not in the middle of that pack where he's trending towards 20. He's, he's anywhere from 12 to maybe 14 when it all boils down to it in the end. Kirk Cousins, he, I think he's a solid quarterback. He just has to get into a situation and be on a team where he gets an opportunity to truly flourish on it, but not go through the process of losing players, losing an organization, not having a GM, bringing in another quarterback in the same year, being the number one player taken in, in, in the first, well, the second player taken behind Andrew Luck in RG3, first quarterback taken. Now he comes in the fourth round. And now you have the battles between Daniel Schneider and also Mike Shanahan on who they like the most. So now that was a debacle from the beginning. And now here it is. He gets an opportunity to hopefully get a fresh start and one that give him a chance to compete every single week. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I would have been, I wouldn't have been too shook up uh, if they would have given him a 150 million guaranteed. Well, the guaranteed part is the precedent-setting component and the historic part, and I don't think the Jets are going to do that, but if we're just talking about the raw numbers, and you pointed this out a couple weeks ago when Garoppolo got paid, if Garoppolo got what, 137 and Mm -hmm. a half, don't want to shortchange him, call it 138 million bucks over five years, Cousins has to get more, right? Nobody gets less. The trend just keeps moving in that direction. It does. It does. And, and And I think the biggest number that has more value, and we've said this, and you you really push on it harder, which is the guaranteed money. And as you talked about Brock Osweiler, it's not so much the 72, it's the 36. It's not so much the 137, it's the 48.7. And the potential 74 if he gets injured and, and something happens and he can't get back out on the football field. Um, to me, the, the original guaranteed money, um, which is the 48.7 for him, and Jimmy Garoppolo, the 36 for Brock Osweiler. What will that number be for someone like a Kirk Cousins? Because again, will they see all of that money? They may have to restructure. It may just be one where on paper, it's the greatest thing on earth. I think what we see with Jimmy Garoppolo, it sounds like it's the greatest thing on earth. But the key component, the one player that won in all of this, is the guy who played for the Indianapolis Colts. 26 games he hadn't played over three years. Andrew Luck. million guaranteed. That's the number that truly matters in the end. Because when they get to the back end of the 137, or if they would have gotten to the back end of a 150, unless it was all guaranteed, it would be backloaded as a Joe Flacco's contract. You end up restructuring. You give them another big signing bonus. 
depending on how well they are playing. And they restructure that way to be cap friendly. But it remains to be seen how they actually, whoever it may be, um, how they actually go about the business for someone like a Kirk Cousins as they move forward. Because if it's not guaranteed money of the entire contract, the question is, how big is the guaranteed money? So now that's where it becomes extremely flexible. Well, let's speculate. It's got to be north of $70 million guaranteed, right, for Cousins? Well, you have to, to be, be close to what Alex Smith ended up getting for right. sure. Or Derek Carr or Matthew Stafford. That's the general vicinity. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to assume that'll be a part of um, – the direction they go in to, to, to make sure that he, she's well taken care of because of those guys, I think, what, Alex Smith got the most, so he's probably signing bonus money-wise or guaranteed money. He's second behind uh, Andrew Luck with 70. Everyone else got a little bit less. And so I, I just see it being where Kirk Cousins may get 70. It won't be an extreme jump. It may be 70 and a half for the sake of conversation. It could be a little less, but if it's less... You know, then, you know, how's that going to work from an ego standpoint with his agent um, saying that our guy deserves to get a little bit more money because he's putting more work. Now, Alex Smith's been putting in some work. It's just he's gone to the playoffs. He just hadn't won one. So has Kurt Cousins, and he only got three years under his belt of being a starter in the National Football League and going to one playoff game. So if he got a little less than Alex Smith, I can, I can rationalize with that. I can, I can, but you know it's going to be the, close to that number. Whether it's a million off, whether it's a half a, whether it's a, a half a mil off, or a half a mil more, you know it's going to be in that ballpark. Again, it's gotten forty-four million bucks over the last two years, twenty-four and nineteen, and both of those was point nines at the end, twenty-three point nine and nineteen point nine. So you're looking at twenty and twenty-four and twenty million bucks. Of, of of money that went this past forty-four million bucks. Now I'm not counting the taxes. I'll let him deal with that portion. But now he gets a chance to get another what? 60 plus. So in, in, in three years, this guy's going to have well over $100 million guaranteed. For how many well playoff over. wins? How many playoff victories? Yeah, but again, that, 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 that stuff can go out the window yesterday. Because Matthew Stafford, what did he get? Yep, and the Lions Jimmy haven't Garoppolo. won a playoff game since 1991. There you go. So the, the, playoff, the playoff conversations... When it, now, now, every team in the National Football League cannot win a playoff game. And it's some that don't do it over time. That should not determine how much guaranteed money or big of a contract a quarterback should get because you have to align that player differently than you align any other player on that team, even if it's a marquee receiver on the team, a marquee offensive lineman on the team. Whomever it may be, the quarterback has to have the type of stability like a head coach. He has to be taken care of. You have to know this is who he is, and this is who we're building around when it comes to resetting his monies or his contract is concerned. So to give someone like that that type of money, that's the marketplace right now. That is the marketplace. And... Yes, it's going to challenge the pockets of a lot of those organizations that have elite quarterbacks where their contracts are going to be restructured. And so there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on them to have to step up and, and, and hopefully uh, make their guys feel appreciated because in the end, that's what it's really all about, appreciation in the end. And I know it's a business, but that position is a little bit more delicate when it comes to contracts than any other position in the National Football League. 
Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.